Hi, everybody. Welcome to Wednesday Night Oasis. It is Wednesday, February 9th, February 9th, 2022. Hey, we are starting a brand new series tonight on Wednesday night. And I want us to, to uh, look start looking at something tonight uh, that we probably don't pay a lot of attention to, that we don't read too much. It's uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah. So uh, take a minute. It's okay to look at the beginning of your uh, Bible there where it tells you where the different uh, Bible uh, characters, people are in the Bible. Uh, and look for Nehemiah. Now, it's an Old Testament book. And um, uh, let's see. So if you find Psalms and then... Uh, it's kind of in the center of the Bible there. And then go to the left, past Job, Esther, and you'll find Nehemiah there. So it's kind of like right out, right out there. Uh, we're starting this new series ca called One Call. And the story is about this guy, Nehemiah. Now, uh, I know you're probably thinking, well, it's a story about the, the walls of Jerusalem being rebuilt. It was like 600 years before Christ um, that he was first ever thought of by, by people in the Bible. What, so what's the big deal about this wall thing? Well, it's a very big deal because this wall was built around the city. It was, it was a source of protection and so tonight we're going to talk about this, and we're going to relate this book and see how does it pertain to our lives today. This is going to be like a three- or four-part series um, that we're going to be looking at. And it's something I want you to really think about. Just think about it a little bit differently than thinking it's just a story about a guy building a wall. Because it's much more than that. Because here's what you should know about the story as we go into it. Um, the story is really much more than just uh, um, restoring uh, a wall. It's about restoring lives. Uh, it's about God building hope and purpose into people's lives that we can even look at today and how God can build hope and purpose in our lives today um, the way he did way back then. I mean, um, look, we, we see tragedy from time to time. You remember with Haiti, how that looked, how it probably still looks somewhat, that, that they, they were just demolished. Everything was in ruins. Everything was torn down, and it was rubble. I mean, stuff laying all over the streets and everything else. Lives were destroyed, and it's a physical picture of what happens to us sometimes spiritually. And so I want us to just kind of relate this and, and, and just think about this a little bit. Because uh, what happens, um, sometimes this happens in the spiritual realm of people's lives. In the emotional realm of people's lives, they feel destroyed. They feel like they're in rubble. Some marriages feel like, boy, the, this, this is rubble. It's, it's a, a, a small picture of what it once was. Some families just feel messed up because of things that are happening in their family. Uh, we see depression, anxiety um, in, the, in the human heart. People are depressed. They're anxious. They don't know what to do. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar at all with where some people are in our world today? They don't know where to turn. They're anxious. And here's what you should know. God never intended for us to live that way. And he wants to show us um, 
what he really wants for us. So this story about Nehemiah shows us a way to recover from, from destruction. He wants to show us how to build back hope and purpose and peace, um, the peace of God in our lives. He wants to show us how to do that, not only in our lives, but the lives of others. So stay with us in this series because uh, I think it's something you're going to be able to get something out of. I want to encourage you uh, in the series to take some notes and, uh, and to write down questions. And, and let's even talk about that some. If you get me your questions, we will talk about it on Wednesday night and I'll incorporate what your question might be into our message. So feel free to give us that on Sunday morning when you uh, when you see us. Uh, you just give it to me or or put it in the uh, in the plate when it goes by, so that uh, that uh, the ladies will give it to me and it'll get to me. It'll get back to me. So we need to understand the principles that are taught in this story for ourselves, for our families. Uh, for the people that come into our lives because people need a story of hope. As we begin looking at this, uh, the story of Nehemiah, uh, let me give you a little background on what has happened at this point in the story. The people of Israel had been defeated and most of them had been uh, sent to Babylon Another, another city. And this story takes place about 150 years after this happened. So a lot of time has gone by. Nehemiah was a descendant of those people who were captive in Babylon. So his people were in bondage in Babylon. Nehemiah was raised in the king's palace because his job was to serve the king as, as his cupbearer. So his job was to taste the drinks and the food that the king was about to have to make sure it wasn't poison. How would you like that job? You know, it's kind of like, okay, I'll eat it first. You know what? You take some first, and if you don't die from it, I'll know it's okay. That was his job. Uh, I guess it's not a bad job as long as you don't uh, die from eating poison food, right? You got to taste the best food that there was, right? Because it was the king's food. Well, at the beginning of the story, we see Nehemiah asking about what was happening in Jerusalem. He was, he was very concerned about this. And let's start there. It's in Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. Uh, let's, let's start by looking at that. They said to me, those who served the exile and are back in the providence are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God in heaven. He was a, a, a man, stopped there for a minute. Um, he was crying over a wall that had been destroyed. It would be like you going outside and seeing your fence uh, was knocked down for some reason and crying over it. So this guy's like crying over uh, a wall. Now, if that was the reason Nehemiah was crying, I think he needs medication or something like that because that's, 
not a reason to be crying, but that wasn't the reason he was crying. Here's what you have to realize when you read the story. The walls to the city protected the people from the attack of the enemy. The walls provided peace and security for the people that lived there, and Jerusalem's walls uh, allowed a place for God because the temple was there. And so they could worship and do those things. And, and when the walls come down, when the walls are down, the temple would be destroyed. And the things stolen out of it constantly. So that means there was no place for God to dwell among the people. I guess that puts things in a little bit different perspective. So you say, okay, I get that. So that was a big deal. It was a big deal because the temple was protected by the walls and, the, and those things. But really, what kind, uh, or not what kind, but how does that relate to me at all? What does it have to do with me? Well, when our spiritual walls in our lives are strong, when we understand the truth of God's word and we live them out in our lives, we are spiritually strong against the attack of the enemy. But when those walls begin to get cracks in them and they begin to crumble and fall, we open ourselves up to the attack of the enemy. When we don't know God's truth, we can't build our lives based on the truth of God because now we're leaving ourselves exposed to the enemy's schemes against us. Does that make any sense? How's your walls? How are your walls doing? Is, are, are they solid or is there a little crack in the corner? But when you know God's truth, you see, the enemy's lies are spoken to us and we can come against it with God's truth that's written in the Word. And we can stand on the promises of God's Word that have been made to us. I said made to us because even though they were made in the Bible, they were made to you and to me as well. So we need to understand that God is calling us to something powerful, that the enemy says sin would make you feel good. But we know that in Hebrews 11, it says that sin is pleasurable for a season. But in Romans 10, it says that sin leads to destruction. <clears throat> we have to understand and know the word of God. It builds strong walls in our lives and it helps us defend ourselves against the attack of the enemy. I know many of you and, and that we, we have talked and I've talked to some of you and for some you feel like, I wish I knew God on a deeper level, that I want to, but I'm not sure how to go about doing that. We're going to talk about that. And it really comes down to what you put into something, you get out. You see, I bought a, <clears throat> excuse me, I bought a small desk one time and it came in a box. It was only a few pieces and it had a 20 page manual on how to put this thing together. My first thought was, I know I, don't, I shouldn't say this. I don't need any stinking manual. I went to college. Uh, what do I need a manual for? This 20-page book here. No, it's something simple. I don't need a big book to show me how to do this. After about two hours, I was frustrated. And you know what I did? I opened the manual and put the desk together in 20 minutes. A job that took two uh, took me two hours to just realize I'm getting nowhere was done in 20 minutes because I consulted the manual 
say it. Here's what we do, all of us. I know what to do. I can figure this out on my own. Only to find ourselves frustrating and going back to the manual where we should have gone right from the beginning. Right? Do you ever do this? I know, guys, you never do this. Ladies, you might do this once in a while, right? But uh, uh, we know it's the other way around, right? Sometimes people know that the what the manual says, but the problem is we're not doing it. People know what the Bible says. They're just not doing it. The Bible says that we're not supposed to be just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word, right? When we know that, we know what God says, we build up strong walls and we can defend against the enemy that is trying to tear us down if, if we're faithful to do what he tells us to do. In chapter 1, verse 5, Nehemiah prays to God, to the God of heaven, and he asks for forgiveness for the people. And he asks that God would open eyes, open his eyes to see what is happening and hear their prayers. He's asking for God to help him to understand what's happening. And at the end of the prayer, look at the very last line in this chapter. After praying, everything Nehemiah says this. Here's what he says. I was a cupbearer to the king. I kept thinking about that over and over. And I think, boy, he's distraught. He's upset. He's doing all of this. He's praying for God to open his eyes. And he finishes his thought by saying, I was a cupbearer to the king. The more I thought about it, the more I realized being a cupbearer was his job. But it wasn't his destiny. It wasn't what he was called to do. It was, a, it was his career, but it wasn't his calling. You get what I'm saying? God had so much more for Nehemiah to do. He, he had a purpose for him. And that was, that was the way uh, he couldn't even imagine himself. Because he was a cupbearer. That was his thing. See, God was getting ready to write a new chapter in Nehemiah's life. Yeah. You, you were a cupbearer, Nehemiah. But not anymore. We studied the book, and we're going to see Nehemiah go back to Jerusalem. And he, he relies... Um, on the uh, on people who have had overwhelming odds against them the enemy attacked he led them in rebuilding the wall around the city protecting the city the place of god again and guess what they do it in 52 days talk about building a wall Something that hadn't happened in 150 years was done in 52 days. God used Nehemiah to step out, and in 52 days, hope, peace, security, and God was restored in people's lives. When you think about it, I believe that Nehemiah had no idea what God was going to do in his life. Nehemiah brought victory to those who were defeated, hope to those who had no hope. Nehemiah brought people back to God. Can I tell you what the message is for today? Here it is. God wants to do the same with you and with me. He wants to use us in a way we never imagined. He wants to use us 
to bring hope to the hopeless. He wants to use us to bring people back to him, to build a place for them, to bring God back into their lives. Let me ask you, how would you have ended chapter one? How would you have ended the end of that chapter? I'm a homemaker. I'm a construction worker. I'm a businessman. Can I tell you this morning? That may be your career. But what is your calling? Your career and your calling is not necessarily the same thing. Who is God calling you to be for his kingdom? God is calling you to step out into the calling and purpose he has for your life, for all of our lives. And you just have to know that it is way more than you ever thought about for yourself. It's something that you go, I can't see me doing that, not me ever. I mean, who am I? How can I do that? I look at Nehemiah's story and I see three things that Nehemiah did to put himself in a place to be used by God. If we do these things, the same thing would be true for each of us. If we did these Three things God could use us in a more powerful way. That's what we're talking about in this series. And that's what we're talking about tonight. The first thing we must do is this. We have to care about the things God cares about. Wow. That's pretty profound. That's really great, Andy. Thanks. When Nehemiah was crying about the wall, it wasn't because he cared about the wall. It was because he cared about the people. These were people who were open to the attack of the enemy, and they were living far below where God wanted them to be. So the question you have to ask yourself is, what do you care about the most? Or what do you care most about? Does that sound better? I think, I don't know grammatically which is right. See, I don't know about you, but if I'm not careful, I can find myself caring about temporary things when I really need to care about eternal things. How about you? People sometimes think about what they have or what they, they think they should have, I should say. They care more about what other people think about them than what God thinks about them. Sometimes they think about things that have no eternal value at all. I'm not saying today that you and I should feel bad if we have a nice car or a nice home or, or you know, we have a bank account and we have, I mean, those are, that's awesome. That's wonderful things. But what are the priorities of our lives? What would happen if we change the channel? What would happen if we began to care about what God cares about? What would that do to our focus of our lives? I don't know about you, but I'm constantly hearing about billionaires that are trying to figure out how to be zillionaires. You know what I'm saying? What drives them? What is the, what's the plan? Whoever has the most when you die wins? Well, if that's a plan, it isn't a very good one. But now, if we use the things God has given us to further the kingdom, then 
There's eternal purposes in a worldly thing. You say, well, okay, what does God care about? If you want to go that path, let's talk about that. What does God care about? Here's a few thoughts that I was kind of thinking about. The first one is, is um, let's say, point A. How's that? God cares for the brokenhearted. He cares for those who are brokenhearted. Psalms 34, 18 says this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in the spirit. Think about that. In our lives, you and I, don't have to walk very far before we see someone who's brokenhearted and crushed in the spirit. God cares about them. We need to care about the things God cares about. Here's the second one, B, point B. God cares for the needy. People in need. Here, uh, Psalms, in Psalms 9, 18, hold on. Psalms 19, 8, 9, 18 says this. But God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. God's heart is turned towards those who are in need. Now, I saw this lived out in my own life. From time to time, I talk about my dad, who was my hero. And he was quite the guy who didn't have much to say about many things. But when he spoke, you listened. Because he really thought about what he was going to say before he just, blah, here it comes. Every day, he would go for a walk, and no one knew where he was going. I mean, every day. He'd go out for a couple of hours and go for a walk. Now, he was on foot, so my mom knew he, he, he couldn't get into too much trouble because he was just in the neighborhood going for a walk, going for a walk. So, same time, every day. There he goes. When he passed away at, uh, at the funeral home, it was full of people that none of us knew. The people came up to us and told us about all the things my dad did for them on his walk. He helped people fix things. He talked to people who had no one to talk to. I mean, he was caring for people who were complete strangers. Well, to us anyway, he was, they were complete strangers. Uh, do you know what? He cared for the brokenhearted and needy. And I got to see it firsthand. My dad was kind of sickening, actually. He never had a bad thing to say about anyone. And he was the happiest guy I ever knew. I mean, Dad, don't you get mad? Don't you have anything bad to say about anybody? It isn't hard to find needy people on our lives' journey because we're surrounded by them. Here's point C, the third thing. God cares about lost sheep. I care about lost sheep. 
you and I have to really care about lost sheep. Matthew 18, verses 11 through 13. This is the uh, New American Standard Version. Here's what it says. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain on the mountains and go and search for the one that's astray or that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which had not gone astray. Listen, the truth of that God cares for the brokenhearted, the needy, and he cares for the lost. You see, God's will is that the lost would be found. The question is, who is going to go after those people if God's people don't? Someone who doesn't know Christ can't lead others into a relationship with Christ if they don't have one themselves. How important is it that you, as a Christ follower, care for the lost? It's important because God cares for the lost. Here's the fourth one, point D. D. God cares about homelessness and let me not say it that way God cares about purity and holiness I mean if our home is in heaven he cares about Holiness. He doesn't want us to be people who are homeless because we have no home in him. God cares about refining us from the inside out, not by just a bunch of rules we put on a piece of paper and uh, allow the Spirit of God to, to change us. Um, but, but, but what we do is we open ourselves and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and to change us at our very core of who we are. We have to want it. We have to be people who seek it. I remember reading somewhere, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. I remember reading that. I think it's in the Bible. I know it is. 1 John 2.15, here's what it says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. You know, sometimes as much as everybody hates to admit it, when you and I think about what's crumbling around us, we better think about ourselves um, rather than looking at other people for the crumbling. Rather than point to them and point to that guy or point to that lady or to this person or that person and say, that's the reason for the crumbling of our society. Maybe just for a minute, we have to look at ourselves and say, what are we doing to try to make it better? What are we doing? What is our part? Well, I'm nobody. No, you are somebody. You have resources around you. You have a, a, a sphere of influence around you, people 
who are around you. You have people that you do things with, see all the time. How are they? Because if they do not know Christ, they're open to an attack of the devil. See, sometimes what happens is we think that we have a handle on things and we allow sin to creep in and it begins to weaken us. It begins to destroy us. It begins very slowly to take us down to a path which leads to sin. I'll tell you about a guy named Steve. Uh, you don't know him. So if we, if we have someone at church named Steve, it's not that Steve. Uh, he was a stranger. And I, I knew he was a practicing alcoholic. And now he isn't anymore. But he wasn't a practicing alcoholic because he was really good at it. Right? So he's working with people who are alcoholics. And he does that by sh sharing with them what God has done in his life and how God has helped him to be freed from alcohol in his life. Think about that. He didn't say, well, I was an alcoholic. How can I help anybody? God moved. God transformed him. God changed his life. And God will use him in a mighty way because he has shared how God has transformed his life, causing people to have their lives transformed as well. See how God walked him through the battles that he faced? I mean, it's the same battle other people are fighting with right now. It's the valley that he found himself once before. See, God took his shame and restored him to a place where God can restore others by seeing Steve's life lived out. I think that is the most awesome thing that could ever happen. I mean, I, I, I always say this, and I've said it before. <laughs> Isn't restoration a beautiful thing? It changes lives, and God wants to do that through all of our lives. You have to know that God can use you with the people around you more then he can use me. Because right away, believe it or not, I'm at a disadvantage. I'm Pastor Andy. You're my best friend, Sally. You're my best friend, Ralph. You know, what? I believe you when you talk. Pastor Andy, I don't know. I kind of believe him, but that's his job. That's what he's doing. See, it all starts with caring about what God cares about. So what do you care most about today? And does that need to change? The second thing we see Nehemiah do, and it puts him in a position for God to be able to use him, is this, number two. He repented from sin and turn back towards God. Here's a guy who repented from his sin and he turned back his life towards God. Look at Nehemiah. Look at his prayer in verse 6 um, of chapter 1. Here it is. Here's what he says. This is like in verse 6 and 7. I'm going to get to that right here. 
and we'll, we'll read that. Here it is. Let your ears be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sin we Israelites, including myself, my father, family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you and have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you have given your servant Moses. He's just laying it out there for God. Let me ask you something. When we do that, do we think God doesn't know that already, that we've done those things, that we've messed up, that we've done bad? Of course we do. But when you and I go to God and turn over to God our sin, we're saying, you know, Jesus, you know my sins. I know my sins. And I need you. That's pretty easy. Uh, it's the truth. See, I read that and I was thinking, Nehemiah wasn't even there. In Jerusalem, when all this was happening, why would he own it? Uh, like his sin, like it's his sin. I mean, he didn't go to God and, and I'm, uh, with a, I'm, a, I'm perfect. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm praying for those people because they are rotten to the core. He didn't go that way because all of these people, I didn't even do this stuff. He didn't do that. No, he didn't do that at all. He, he asked for forgiveness for his role in what happened. Maybe he let things go when he should have spoke up. Maybe he saw a problem his whole life and he just let it go by. You know what happens sometimes when the abnormal is allowed to stay around long enough, it becomes normal in people's eyes, but not in God's eyes. You understand what I mean? The things, think about the things in our society, in our culture, in our world today that is really trying to be made normal. And God says, that is not normal at all. Whether you want to make yourself believe that or not, it's not, is the answer. When we repent, we're just saying, God, forgive me. We're saying, God, forgive me. And I'm turning myself around. Instead of running from God and his will, we're running towards God's will and towards God. There's a big difference. Most people mess up and they move into sin and they go, well, I'm going to move away from God. And God's, God doesn't want us to move away from us when we, we, he wants us to repent from it and run towards him. At the end of our service every week, we give people an opportunity to ask Jesus to come into their, to their lives. And we ask them as part of that whole process we say, um, forgive us of our sins. And then we say, we repent of our sins. You know what that means? Repent is one of those words that we use a lot, but not sure about what it means. It means turning yourself around, going the other way. And we repent of our sins. We were going this way in our sin. Now we're coming back to you. You see, yeah, uh, when we go through that process and we mean it with our heart, God says he comes in and the healing process begins. But right now, if you don't know him,
Let me tell you, the walls are crumbling down. There's nothing protecting you from the attack of the enemy. Because God is not in you. A person accepts Christ and nothing changes. What about that? They didn't feel the power of God in their lives. And they don't see him at work in their lives. This person will say, I accepted Christ and nothing has changed. I, I, I'm doing the same things I always have done. <laughs> That's the problem. You're doing the same things that you've always done. You haven't repented. You haven't turned those things over to God. And you haven't turned from that sin. How do you... you you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. I don't know if this is any good. It means something to me, and I hope it means something to you. But listen, we can't turn a little bit from our sin. We can't be a dabbler in seeking God. We can't be, okay, uh, I have to go somewhere else to, um, I have to go somewhere else to worship God because uh, church is too early in the morning or it's too late in the day or I have to go get a haircut in the, in the morning or um, uh, I have to go take a shower by the time I get ready it's too late for me to do this. Or I have to go to soccer practice with my kids, so I have to put God on the back burner. There's no back burner for God. So Nehemiah reminds God of his promises in verse 9 because God has made Nehemiah a promise. He's made God's people a promise. And so in verse 9, Nehemiah says, I'm going to remind you of your promises to me, God, in case you don't remember. But if you return to me, that's returning to God, and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are in farthest horizon." I mean, if they're really way out there, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how far away you are from God or you think you are or how bad you've been. It all begins with repentance and acceptance. See, here's what you have to know. Those people don't know where to return. There are people who don't know the truth. And if you don't tell them, how will they ever know? Well, Nehemiah is gone, right? We know that was a, a person in the Bible thousands of years ago. I guess now it's up to you and me. It's up to us to tell people what God has to offer. It brings us to the third thing Nehemiah did. He stepped up and stepped out. It's the same thing God is calling us to do. Nehemiah saw himself as a cupbearer, but God saw him as much more than that. Do you think he might have doubted Nehemiah? Do you think he might have thought, can I even do this? I've never led the charge like this. I never built a wall 
but he stepped up and said, Lord, use me however you want to use me. That's pretty powerful. I want to warn you before you find yourself saying that, because God may take you to places you thought you never would go. This is the word God is putting on the heart of this church. It, it always has been. God is calling every one of us to step up this year. No matter where you are, where you are in your spiritual journey, God is calling us to be a body of believers that step up and step out, to get out of our comfort zones. It's time to move to a new level. Uh, I really say this, and I really mean this. We need to step out of our past and move into our future. We have to step out of where we have been and step into where God wants to take us. We have to step out of what we know to step out into what God wants to show us. We have to say, God, I am going to hold on to what you're doing in me, where you're taking me, and what you're asking me to do. Look at what it says in Psalms 37.3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pastures. For some people, that means you go from trusting the Lord to trusting the Lord and doing good. Maybe that means that you need to start getting more involved. Maybe it means you have to set aside time to truly spend time with God. Maybe you, you need to be more vocal about what God is doing in your life. Maybe it's time to encourage someone else that needs encouragement. Maybe God is calling you to be more grounded in his word this year than ever before. Maybe it's time for you to stop saying, I try to read the Bible and I don't understand it, and start reading the Bible and asking God to reveal things to you. Maybe, maybe it's when you're together in a restaurant, not on Sunday because we go out together on Sunday. Maybe it's time when you're just two of you or, or even by yourself. Maybe you should pray for your meal out loud so that other people can hear you before you eat. I know that for some of you that's stepping out of your comfort zone, but that's how God is going to take us to the next level. Not if Pastor Andy does this, because Pastor Andy's doing this. Not if Shirley is doing this, because Shirley's not shy when it comes to sharing what God is doing in our lives and in the lives of the people in our church. Maybe for just a minute, you have to take a look in the mirror and maybe you have to ask God, okay, I'm ready to step up and I'm ready to step out. So use me today. See, here's what you should know. You have the most amazing ability that God has placed inside of you. If you're a Christ follower today, <coughs> excuse me, to bring light into the darkness, to give hope to the hopeless, to allow God to use you to bring people back to him. 
It, you want to know what our purpose is? Every one of us is going to go be with him one day. And he wants us to bring as many people with us as we can. Here's what you need to know. You have been anointed and appointed by God to do it. There will be relationships and meetings and people that will come along your path that are what I call divine appointments that God put together for a purpose for you to share with them. Look at what it says. This is what Jesus says in Luke 4, 18 and 19 as I'm wrapping up here. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom uh, to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We are the body of Christ, aren't we? The Bible's clear about that. We are God's hands and feet. God wants to move through us. He wants to speak through us. And he wants to fill his presence on earth through the church. That tells me that we have been anointed by God and appointed by God to do his good work. And he's calling you today to proclaim the good news. In other words, speak the truth of God to those people around you. Jeremiah 29, 11, here's what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Why should I put myself out there? Because it is a battle worth fighting for. That what we are talking about next week, as we keep looking at Nehemiah's story, is that it was a battle worth fighting for. And we're all in one today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you, Father, for this day. We pray, Lord, that our message tonight would be something to open our eyes and to open our hearts, to help us to begin to move to a place where not only do we know your word, but we become doers of your word. It's time for us to step out of our comfort zones, to step up to the path you're calling us to, it's time for us to begin to be all that you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for being with us tonight. I look forward to seeing you Sunday. Remember, Sunday uh, we're starting a brand new series titled Slow Down. What's your hurry? It may not be what you're thinking. Um, and then followed by uh, Oral Craven's memorial service. And that memorial service will begin at 1230. So come be a part of the church service. Stay to celebrate the life of a great guy. And then join us for lunch at the church following that. For those of you who are watching from outside of our state or in a place where you're not able to come to church, that uh, memorial service will be shown online uh, as well and be available for you to see. So uh, I want to encourage you to um, participate in that as we um, celebrate the life of a lovely person. Thanks for being with us tonight. Be blessed.